Welcome to the Smash Accept Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore Dad FF. It is episode 30, John, and I'm just super excited to announce our guest. But before we do that, how are you doing today? Oh, loving life. Mike, what's up, everyone? Good to be here. Back with you here, Mike. It's been a fun week. We got the Listener League kicked off now. Superflex, 14-team league. Crazy. I've never seen so many trades in one startup before. That's been yeah, fun. and It has been an absolute of trades right i mean we've had we're, we're nine rounds in there's been 45 trades not a single round has had all to, all 14 picks go yeah. in order you know there's been a trade in every single one of them you know a couple guys there it, it's just exciting playing with the guys and the listeners you know the guys that actually listen to the show the guys that i mean they're like i, I wonder who dad's gonna pick here you know what i mean they're still yeah. calling me dad in the group chat and the guy's like you know we got to a spot where in the in the fourth round i had to choose between michael thomas and miles sanders and on brand, they're like, well, he's taking Michael Thomas, you know, but for my team, I switched it and they're like, whoa, whoa, that's not what you say all the time. You know, <laughs> so it was, just, it, it was neat. It's a it's a great experience to be able to play with those guys, the guys that are listening tonight. So thank you so much for that. And we are kicking off a second listener league, um, you know, in a couple of weeks here. So hit us up on on instant messenger or what the heck man i'm showing myself my age here chad and i were talking in the back room we were talking about candy maldonado now i'm talking about instant messenger like my son's gonna harass me and call me a boomer but <laughs> let's jump right into our guests i mean right now we have on just one of the pillars of the, of the dynasty community this offseason we put together a program we're really trying to help you guys improve your dynasty teams and our guest has been, you know, helping people decide what kind of team they're going to be since 2011. You know, founder, CEO, host of Under the Helmet. Welcome, Chad Parsons, to the show, guys. Yeah, I heard that. We don't. We're a little bit low tech. Yeah, we don't have social like, distance, but there was at least three people clapping, clapping. All the people, all the people asking Mike who he's going to pick in his startup. Those are the exact people. <laughs> the same ones. <laughs> See, you know, what I was thinking is they they now use the, your information provided to them against you yeah. because because now they're drafting Indeed. against you and they have the power because they can see your rankings you can't see theirs. I know it's a fun experience. Welcome I mean, to the world, Mike. That means you made up. it. When people yeah. start drafting against you and start making comments because you didn't follow your board, you have officially made it. Congrats! You've arrived, Mike. Oh, it felt great. One guy traded up right in front of me to take T.J. Hawkinson. He goes, Haha. "They knew. They knew exactly. Like, they knew I was going to take him." You know, so I'm like trying to think. It, it makes it a little bit more difficult. I'm trying to think outside the box and who I wouldn't, you know, necessarily go there. So, you know, Chad, it is an honor and a privilege. I mean, I got to let you know. Under the Helmet was the first podcast I ever listened to. Um, Tim Smith, who, the Dynasty professor back in the day, I know you know who he is. Uh, he, he did some writing back and forth there, and, and he turned me on to you guys. And I, I listened, and I just remember that that first episode, listening to you and, and Doug Veach at the time, because I really got into it. I had played Dynasty, but not really MFL Dynasty. It was my own little thing that it was kind of, you know, it wasn't, it was a faux Dynasty. And that 2014 class got me hooked, and I started listening to you guys. And man, I mean, my passion for dynasty fantasy football has gone from, you know, that one league there to now I'm in 15 doing a podcast. So I got to thank you, you know, for what, what you guys did on that podcast. And, you know, I wanted you to tell the listeners a little bit about the history of UTH. I mean, most of our listeners, everybody listens to it. Your podcast is amazing. But why don't you run us through the, the history of, you know, how things have gone for you guys? Sure. Yeah. Um, good to hear that, you know, again, it's all about creating excitement, empowerment, you know, with with folks that, that listen and about going from redraft to dynasty, getting excited about it and about building your team from the ground up, which always gives you a chance, right? The NFL teams always have a chance every single year. And, and for dynasty teams, you should feel that same way. So the way UTH builds their squads, it's not really that, you know, you build it like a redraft. And if you don't win it, you see some, some owners leave their team, you know, in a, in a ditch, you know, and all of a sudden you got to fill it. They traded away rookie picks. So a lot of these mantras and, and cornerstone strategies are about building towards the future where yes, we're trying to win now, but 
if you're if you're building towards the future and looking at the macro view, then you always have a really good chance and you're you're kind of always in improvement mode. And and so that's the thing from listener to subscriber uh, and honestly to to new dynasty owner that ends up becoming a savvy veteran. All those things, you know, really help give you confidence. And, and that's really what a lot of my shows are about. Um, yeah, you mentioned, you know, it's been years and years. And I did want to give a shout out because this week we had the 4,000th uh, show between Sig Bloom and uh, Cecil Lammy over there at Football Guys and 4,000. Like when I heard the number, and I know they started back in the mid aughts, like, you know, 2006 or so uh, with, with their shows. And I started in 2011. So I was like, how many shows have I done? And, but we're kind of uh, on the weekly show for UTH coming up on 500. That'll be in the next couple of months. But premium shows added on, and I, I didn't even add Patreon shows, but I, I'm probably in the 2,500 to 3,000 range of episodes. And I would say a good cross-section of those are solo shows. And I always say that that's a good, you know, if you want to start a podcast, don't think you have to have three, four, five people around you and it has to be some big thing. Literally press record. It can be 10, 15 minutes, but start doing it every week. And back in 2011, I committed. And, you know, I'm talking to a couple of guys my age range. So you'll kind of understand that podcasting a decade ago, it wasn't literally plug in a microphone to your computer or you could... Some people podcast probably from their phone. But back then, I mean, I had to call into Blog Talk Radio. And it was like, it started when it said 6.30. And I started at 6.30 because I'm a cheapskate. And you had to pay for it to start from 7 to 11 p.m. You had to pay. It was a premium model uh, if you wanted to have your live show. And I remember I started the shows by saying what the call-in number was. How delusional that I was going to get a, a sheer mass, like it was an open radio station, that people were just going to call in. The whole show is going to be calls. And I just had these drove of notes. And now I don't have any notes. But I used to have notes and notes and notes because I needed to know where I was going. And you just figure it out. So that's why I always say for people, just start. If you have an interest, start somewhere. It can be a short show, but do it every week or do it whatever your schedule is going to be and stick to it. Uh, you know, I mean, if you're questionable, make sure you're active that week. If you've got a sore throat, figure out how to do it because you're kind of your own radio station. So yeah, I started in 2011. It actually turned into the Pro Football Focus Dynasty show. Um, for folks that that was a cross section of maybe a year or a year and a half. I did have a co-host, Scott Spratt, who's actually really big in the baseball analytics now. Um, but he did football with me back then. Um, and then when I moved over to football guys as a staff writer, I've been over there for a while that it came back and it was my own thing. Um, and then I started my own website right around the time Mike mentioned that, that he kind of found me in 2014. What a glorious era, era to, to start talking about the young wide receiver and building around a core uh, with that rookie class and trading down for first round picks. I mean, I got a little market lucky huh, in that regard. And then it keeps expanding. You know, I mean, I added premium shows uh, to subscribers in 2015 or so. Um, and I, I will say one thing. I, I was this whole time because uh, I joined the military, the army back in 2003. So I was active duty all the way up until about 2016. So for about three, four five years, I was doing the website. I was doing a couple other side hustles, plus all this dynasty stuff, as well as being in the army. So I always encourage people that if you got a nine to five, if you got a job that maybe isn't ideal for you, you don't even know, hey, am I going to be doing this in five years, 10 years? I mean, I just did it because I liked it. But once I started to be successful, grow an audience, make a little bit of money, uh, things like that, again, I kind of saw that maybe this could develop into something, whether I you know, retire with the military or not. So that's what I always encourage people to do is you know, use that time, especially in your 20s, early 30s. If you, you know, even if it's 30 minutes a day, can you make progress over the course of a year or two and you never know where you'll go? And that's certainly what my story is, is just about the, the side hustle and, and spending, you know, your hobby becomes something you're actually progressing towards something, even if you don't really know what that is. And then UTH Patreon started a few years after that. So I've kind of got all those things working now, as well as being, you know, we just started now we're almost uh, 12 months into uh, Jordan McNamara and myself doing the dynasty show at football guys, which they haven't had a football guys uh, dynasty show in, uh, in, in its history. So now we're starting that and we're kind of side by side right there on the audible channel. So um, again, you just keep seeking opportunities is what I always tell people as a, as a content producer. And it starts again with just one show and say, can I get a little better after I cringe and listen to myself and, you know, ultimately try to improve an episode two and 10, et cetera. Yeah, it's a big difference, you know, when you do it as a, as a solo pod, you know, I tried doing that a, a little bit there and it's a matter of like, 
drinking nonstop, getting the not alcohol, just getting getting your water here, keeping your your throat going. And then John and I paired up, and it's just been it's been fantastic. It's been a great ride, and I know you've had a lot of great co-hosts over the years. Um, wanted to thank you, obviously, for your your service. You know, in the military, that's an outstanding thing that most people I don't know if they know that about you, and your your service to the Dynasty community. I mean, Dynasty has really grown over the years to the point where you're saying football guys has you know a dynasty branch i know fantasy pros now has you know ray gq is going to start doing their uh dynasty off reach you know and, and dynasty is that next evolution here have you changed at all from 2014 you know a lot of our listeners are really just talking about the running backs and and we're doing a startup right now and you know the wide receivers there's only three of them taken in the first two rounds because it was super flex i mean they're they're pushing that back are you seeing that trend is that something that, you know, over at under the helmet, are you still, you know, really trying to push that young wide receiver for your build or do we need to adapt a little bit? Yeah, I think, I think every year is different. And I will say this is probably the most unique year. If you're comparing the positions on how, how deep are they? How flat are the tiers? Because running back. And the reason I was saying it back in 2014 is think back. I mean, we had those older running backs like Matt Forte and Adrian Peterson and those, you know, 2007 through 2010 or so draft classes. So you had those older 20s running backs and they were still being valued in the first couple of rounds of a startup. And that's a risky profile, even for all time type players, you know, or guys that are on three, four, five year runs. And so the dynamic was you're having this influx at wide receiver and then the running backs, I just didn't have a way to sort of gravitate towards. There weren't really the young, pedigreed, productive players at that position. Now, fast forward, and we had an environment where we were starved at running back. So I was like, well, let's wait at running back. I had a startup a few years ago where I didn't draft a running back until round 10. Um, and I just stacked a bunch of them late, went towards the waiver wire, started getting guys from rookie drafts. I ended up, uh, I think, making the playoffs in year one, won a title in year two. And again, that's ignoring a position largely um, for, for the first 10 rounds. But now, and, and last year, what did we say? Quarterback's crazy deep. So you're playing super flex and you're like, well, I can wait. This year, what's the talk? Who's retiring? Who's changing teams? Who's even going to be a starter? So quarterback and Superflex isn't really deep anymore. I saw, I was just recording a show for uh, one of the VIP subscribers today. We're doing a war room, which we talked through strategy for um, an upcoming draft for them. He's doing a 16 team Superflex. And I was like, you're sitting late in the first round. There might be 10 quarterbacks off the board in front of you. So we need to plan for that. What's our plan there? And you know what? If only six, seven, or eight go, then I think you're in a different position. But you have to be prepared that you're going to have like 12, 15 of them off the board potentially by the end of the second round. And there's going to be a big teardrop after about 16 to 18 guys. Do you really feel comfortable? So that's really different than one to two years ago where, you know, we had Brady and Breeze and, you know, we didn't have this sort of endpoint as much as we do today about Philip Rivers retiring and all these things. So that's a big change. And I would say this now, there's a, I mean, wide receiver to me, about 20 something players to me, is only in about two tiers. I mean, and tier one could be one or two guys. If you so choose, it could probably be eight or nine players. And then where's tier two in for you? The point is it's super deep. And so I'm actually this off season, a weight on wide receiver guy. Why? Because the running backs, there's so many 22, 23, 24 year olds that have done something, you know, to a high level. They have strong pedigree. I love the profiles from these recent uh, rookie classes. So I wouldn't have said that five years ago. And I, I so I really, I, I have a caution sign for anyone that goes, well, this is the way I draft. This is the way you build your team. And I would ask, what year is it? Because if it's 2017, that answer should be different than 2020. So some of these studies where you look at, oh, well, this position falls off at this point. Well, you have to look at the specific players because we've never seen and I'm sure you guys talk startup draft, you know, and the draft that's ongoing and things like that, because the middle rounds of like round four to about eight or nine, I have never, ever in all these years seen as many good quality veteran profiles at wide receiver as this year. So if you look and see that, why on earth would you sit here stubbornly and go, well, I have to go wide receiver, wide receiver and quarterback. And now you get to round four and you're like, well, now do I keep going? Like if the best player for five straight rounds is, is wide receiver, are you really going that direction? You almost have to plan ahead because you go, if I'm doing that, either I'm going to trade back into that zone or I'm going to, you know, draft a cornerstone running back in the first two, three rounds. Cause I ordinarily wouldn't do that because I know it's so glorious with, with those 25 to 29 year old wide receivers later. 
So that's just, again, a big change. But until you really get to December, January, you don't have a good sense that that's how it's going to be, the landscape of, of team building and startup drafts, the following and upcoming offseason. You just don't know that until you get there. Yeah. And, and John, you can attest to that. I mean, we're doing a yeah. draft right now where, you know, we, we like to get that out there with our, our listeners were like, we need a listener league. We need a listener league. And they were asking mid season. And I'm like, we can't do it mid season. You know, let's just wait. And, you know, we are a bit of a, you know, a couple of degenerates and we decided that we were going to do it and forgot that MFL clearly didn't roll over yet, even though I've been playing for, you know, uh, upwards of seven years now on, on there. I know it. So I was like, all right, we're going to draft on sleeper. I'll get it created here real quick. And then we'll transfer it over to MFL. And John, why don't you, you know, can you echo a little bit to what Chad's saying about the, some of the dilemmas yeah. you and I are drafting in the three and five spot, the dilemmas that we're seeing at that wide receiver position. And I know this is a little off topic. We're going to get to the senior bowl here in a little bit, but why don't you echo yeah. a little bit to that? Yeah, no, I was just kind of thinking to myself, I'm glad that these listeners, Mike, didn't listen to Chad before the draft. Otherwise, <laughs> you and I might be even that much more trouble here. But Chad, yeah, that's what we're picking up, especially in 14 team. And, you know, Mike and I look at this stuff a lot, but we're struggling with 14 team. I mean, the depth at QB, like you said, is is definitely on display. I mean, Mike and I were fortunate enough to get Kyler and Josh Allen there in the first round. But, I mean, QBs, I think 10 of the 12 first picks or so were, were QBs. And it's a super flex league. So, wow. Um, it, I mean, QBs are just flying off the board and you're struggling. You're like, am I reaching here? And like you said, Chad, now more than ever before, it feels like there's so much instability. I mean, we, we don't know who the, these guys are retiring. A couple of guys, like Breeze and Rivers, just did retire. I mean, I can't even tell you who's going to be starting for the Saints right now. There's a lot of guys that look like they're about to get drafted over. So the QB landscape is is very, um, very challenging to work with. And running backs as well. I mean, I think that, again, the depth is just not there. And so QBs and running backs – are going off the board and then just getting cheap wide receivers for value later. Yeah. The one thing I would say about quarterback and the the dilemma, as you said, is if you pass in the first two, three rounds and you don't have any, then if you're going to go 18, 20, 22 deep, the problem is your QB one may be a rookie. Your QB one may be someone like, what's the leash on Jared Goff? What's the leash on Derek Carr? Are they going to be in a situation within two seasons that they're not the starter? I mean, this is not the environment you want for a for a quarterback. You spent a top 30, 40, 50 pick in your startup draft, right? I mean, that is a hemorrhage of value if you roll snake eyes. And one example of that, you know, is Jalen Hurts is going relatively early. And it kind of boggles my brain a little bit because you don't even know if he is going to be the starter this year. And so I know he flashed a little bit. But Carson Wentz is on the hook for a ton, a truckload of money. And so if you want to say he's he's dead and buried and gone, I just, you know, so those are the types of decisions you're going to have if you pass. So I know it's almost like when people join a two tight end league for the first time, right? I mean, they're just not comfortable drafting tight end as aggressively as early over these other positional names. And so quarterback can be the same way if you're coming from one quarterback and maybe you wait a long time and redraft and you're just like eh, you know i can grab qb12 in round 10 like that's not you get to super flex and you're gonna get you know rolled over so i just feel like if you wait beyond say two rounds uh or two or three rounds especially 14 16 team you're really rolling the dice that either they ignore the position or you just get fortunate that your one or two target players make it to you at some point well, yeah, and if you pass early, I mean, we're looking at, you know, the guy who went at 301 took Jalen Hurts, and at 302 oh. I got I got A.J. Brown. You know, it's like right. when you compare the value of those two players and where, where the, the ceilings are, you know what I mean? But thank you very much for sharing that insight there. I love that. Tonight's episode, you know, we like I said, we've been bringing an off-season program where we, you know, we brought Matt Hicks on to talk rookies in the beginning, and we have, have you on to talk about the Senior Bowl. And, you know, John and I, we dip into the rookies a little bit, you know, and we're, we're, we're starting the process. You're fully entrenched here. I mean, I know, why don't you talk to us a little bit about, you know, the senior bowl experience It's obviously different now. I know you've been there live from listening to the show. Now we're looking at it as remote. Um, why don't you talk about, you know, some of the kind of differences in your overall experience with the senior bowl? 
Yeah. And another thing I would say is, you know, for, for anyone is, is transparency is really important. I mean, I did, I think a 20 minute show outlining why that, that, you know, Katie Flower and myself at a minimum and, you know, anyone else, whether it was Jordan or Tim or, you know, other UTH folks to go to the senior bowl and why it wasn't happening this year. Cause I thought it was a major decision, you know, uh, back in December on, will we go to the senior bowl and a couple of big differences on why I didn't go. We uh, Cooper cup, the Cooper cup year was the first one. I think that was two. 2017 that that we went live in mobile and it's a fantastic experience to me one of the biggest perks is interviewing the players there's a media session you can also interview them uh, after practices and that that personal touch like i got to interview for five minutes one-on-one antonio gibson i was i mean i liked him before but i was sold when i talked to him for example, um, I got to talk to Michael Pittman from last year's class. So I just, when you are able to interview folks and be shoulder to shoulder at podiums, just like with major national media, number one, uh, it empowers you to take it seriously. This is a work trip. Let's have fun, but we're here to do a job. And so this year where it changed to the new stadium at, at South Alabama, and the other part was with COVID restrictions, with all of the the, the safety features in place, it was going to be an environment where there was going to be no outside media opportunities. It was literally going to be you're going three days of practice, you're watching from the bleachers. And here's the kicker that I don't think a lot of people know is if it rains, there was going to be this year, no media allowed at their ancillary covered facility. So I was thinking of it this way, the commitment to travel, the commitment uh, monetarily and and all the time aspect of, of, of going to cover the event. And it's like, if you get a bad run of weather. Now, in all the years I've been, only one rain day. But if what happens, it was actually going to be inclement weather the first day, like an hour before practice, they reverted it and you got to go. But it was almost, I mean, that would have been a gut punch to me. So when I start saying the efficiency of how I'm going to spend that week, you know, a whole day to drive over there, you know, stay. And, and it's really about the three days of practice. And they offered remote. I mean, they offered their servers of practice, which Katie and I, for example, utilized. Uh, to its full extent. So I just decided, let's hope for 2022 and, and greener pastures. But this year, it was going to be remote, where it was actually pretty cool. They have the different camera angles. And usually at practice, you have to gravitate towards a certain positional group and, uh, you know, and adjust your positioning in the in the bleachers accordingly, so that you can get the best vantage point for whatever position group you want to watch. Um, so this year, I got to watch remote. It was frustrating because going to the weigh-in, also, you get to look at body types and, uh, and, and all of that. In addition, to the data. So there's a lot of things that go beyond practice when you're there in person. So if, if I could have done that, again, it's going to be an every year I'm there no matter what sort of mentality. But unfortunately, this year, let's fingers crossed that it's the outlier of this and future years in terms of how they had to approach it. And, and, and kudos to the Senior Bowl for getting it done, you know, in, in this environment that they're, they were able to you know, not and the NFL combine is not going on. I mean, there's some certain things that we are still altering and adapting here in 2021. So that that was a big thing. Um, so what I will say is in terms of the experience watching practice, that the first thing that bothers me, I'll say, that is is the overreactors. Like it's easy, and this is always the thing when you go in person where you're like, oh, they're you you look on Twitter at the end of the day and you're like, oh, they're hyping up player X. That's interesting because he made one play all day. So it almost seems like there's an agenda that, oh, wait for him to make a play. Let's record that one. And let's put that one on NFL Network. Really? And then we'll pass that one around Twitter like 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 a hotcake. It, it doesn't... It, it, and, and that guy, I remember a few years ago, was Amara Darbo. Like he had one red zone slant route for a touchdown where he went through a tackle. And it's like, he's going to be great. Well, let's let's fast forward ahead. He was not... <laughs> the, the, the narrator, he was not great. Absolutely. And so, so, so yeah. difference between the guys that dive into tape and then the guys that watch the highlight film and they say that's what they watched, right? And they, and you see that on Twitter. We now, you know, like we talked about from the beginning when when you first started out. Now you're seeing things. You see one amazing catch from a guy on Twitter, and now all of a sudden everybody explodes and everybody's all about you. Know, like you said, player X. That's that guy had made a phenomenal catch, and we're not paying attention to all the ins and outs. Um, one thing that you pointed out that I thought was great is obviously. You know, our listeners need to know that there is no NFL combine, you know, and there's a lot of some of these undersized guys are going to grow two inches or 15 pounds once they have their their pro days. Right. Because we all know they get a you know a beneficial bump up, you know, from when they're in there. Um, how big was it for the seniors there, you know, to 
to test out their, you know, get size and, and weights and wingspans? And was there anything that jumped out, you know, to you of things? I know you say it a lot. You want to check the boxes. I mean, were there guys there that really did check the boxes at their position? Some guys that maybe, you know, really jumped out to you. Yeah, um, I think running back is probably other than you know if someone has an overtly small hand size at quarterback, let's say, or a concerning thin frame. But at wide receiver and tight end, I think we should be a little more liberal in terms of. I mean, productivity is paramount at those positions more so than you know outside of rare exception. What's their you know what's their body type, let's say, because there's a lot of different ways to win. But running back is one where you really want to say what bucket are they in? Are they in prototypical? Uh, you know, which I set typically, you know, we're kind of moving down. It used to be 220 ish. I think you could be 215 plus, something like that. Uh, you know, or you got to be really physical, really super tough if you're in that 208, 212 sort, you know, like uh, Trey Sermon, you know, he ma- what measured in at, at 213, I believe. And I mean, that's if you play big, if you play tough, I mean, there's a chance, you know, that you could be a three down foundational back at that size. But I, I thought with the running backs, a couple of things stood out. First of all, Najee Harris, you know, he's he's a monster. He's 230 pounds. And so he's sort of, to me, I, I think there's going to be more and more buzz around him being a round one guy and potentially being the first running back off the board. So that's helping his case because he is on the older side. Um, I would say, again, some of these run, uh, smaller running backs that ended up confirming their, their smallness uh, was also... You don't double count because you kind of, well, what was their list weight? And so that's a really right. important thing for folks. Right. And then the the one guy that always had my intrigue, almost in a Antonio Gibson type way of how will he fit in the NFL uh, was Ramondre Stevenson out of Oklahoma. That he was almost a fullback, H-back, Ryan Nall, just to make a deep pull maybe from, from a few years ago at Oregon State. But 235, 240 pounds was his list, I believe. But, you know, he was running as a running back this past year and he ends up declaring, could have gone back to school, but he weighs in at 227. And all of a sudden, when I saw that on Tuesday of Senior Bowl week, I go, well, now this has me intrigued because you're talking about a guy that's slimmed down. And this is always the benefit of a Le'Veon Bell or these guys that are used to playing or did play at 230 plus, and you get them trimming down, all of a sudden they're moving it in a way that they maybe haven't since high school. You know, that they're all now they're still big, yet they're moving very fluidly. So for Stevenson, I was like, let's see how tough he is playing maybe lighter and trimmed down by 5, 10, 15 pounds from what he's used to. And I saw a guy that was dominant in pass protection and and blocking for running backs is big. I mean, some of these smaller guys, they really struggled. And I know they probably didn't show this in the the B-roll highlight clips and stuff because it's a low light. It's not a highlight. So I, I so these smaller guys they're going to get blown up. They can't anchor. They can't take on a linebacker or someone coming off the edge. It's really, and so, so just keep that in mind with some of these guys, you're like, wow, look at them with their ball in their hands. If they're 195 pounds and they can't play super big, it's going to be a struggle in terms of their transition and, and possibly being a two and a half down player or something like that. So Ramondre Stevenson was a guy that, you know, pass protection and blocking, check the boxes, but he moved as well as anybody out there, which to me was a big surprise. I'm not putting him up in the rarefied air of Antonio Gibson because that's a that's a Mount Rushmore type situation of of senior bowl positional convert. What's going to happen with him in the NFL backs? And and I don't think he's going to go top 75 like Gibson did, but I do think there's a round three shot, and certainly round four, round five is probably likely for Stevenson as one of those intriguing players because again. You want to have have zero questions about being a big guy, as I say, that can move and can catch, and he checks all three. And shout out to one of our guys. I mean, listeners, got to check this out. One of our Smash Accept group, Jeremy, at Pope FFH, he did a thread on Stevenson. I thought it was fantastic. It really brought some some attention out there to him. Uh, you you'd mentioned Antonio Gibson, obviously, and last year's combine really was electric. John, I know there's a guy at the running back position, really, that stuck out to you. You know, his performance this week kind of maybe had him on the rise for you. Yeah, let me also just add a little bit on Gibson because I think – the the whole narrative was he only had 33 carries in college. Then we see him in the senior bowl actually had 11 carries and he did really well with each of those carries. He ripped off a big one. And for me, I mean, going into rookie drafts, I was like, okay, I think we kind of passed that test. And like you said, Chad, I mean, now look at this guy and uh, Mike and the listeners know how much I love Antonio, but yeah, the guy that seemed to really stick out kind of from what I saw in the game itself and practice was Michael Carter. Now, he, he's clearly, like you talked about the different body types and size, he's not going to have the Antonio Gibson size, 
but he actually had pretty similar stats as what we saw Antonio Gibson do. And he also ripped off a, a long one. And, and so, yeah, I wanted to ask you what you, you thought, did he pass the eye test for you? I mean, we saw the, the crazy stats this year, you know, I believe it's 1245 yards, nine touchdowns. Um, but you know, can the guy pass block? Can he stay on the field? What was your take on Michael Carter? Yeah, um, I think I think with the ball in his hands, you know, he he checks the box of being a guy that can be a you know whether that's you know round maybe late round two, but round three, round four NFL draft pick. Um, my biggest concern, I took a number of notes, and, and with with Carter, it was a lot of he gets pushed around, and again, I mean, he has decent thickness, but at five eight two oh two. He's going to go up against guys. He's going to need to anchor and shield from the quarterback right. and, and not get pushed right back into the guy, mm-hmm. you know, at 220, 30, 40, 50 pounds. And you really have to, number one, either have an edge or a mindset about you. Cause we've seen Darren Sproles, Danny Woodhead. I mean, again, it's about what is it? The size of the dog in the fight, not the fight in the, you know, so you, you have to have that mentality, that edge about you. And I didn't, number one, I didn't see that. I'm not saying it can't change. But the problem a lot of times is if you're not going to be trusted in those settings, the most important player on the field is going to be the quarterback and putting in a young running back that, and we kind of saw this, right? Where, where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, how much, how many times did you see him pass block this year? Not a ton. You saw Daryl Williams in there, who is a prototypically sized guy, but he's this, you know, day three retread, undrafted. I mean, a, a no name type player, but what does he do well? all the little things. Edwards Hilaire can probably make the guy miss after the catch better. That's not really much of a question, but they're going to win the Super Bowl because of Patrick Mahomes, not because of a, of a missed tackle that Edwards Hilaire forces. So for Michael Carter, it's the the ancillary things and it's the, he doesn't really fit the, is he going to be a 200 plus, 250 plus touch player? So that's going to be a limitation because in Dynasty, you think, okay, if he's not going to be a clear cut starter, you know, or projected that way out of the gate. And he's going to be an injury away. Let's fast forward to like some random week seven this year, next year, whatever. The starter goes down. You've got Michael Carter. You've got another guy that's bigger than him, you know, like a fourth year, fifth year, sixth year veteran. What do you think happens to the depth chart when the starter goes out? These are the, these are the questions you have to ask yourself and how do you feel about a prospect? So for Michael Carter, I would say, he can catch some passes, you know, but I think he's going to be limited to maybe 10, 12, 13 touches a game, you know, sort of in that range. So now you have to put a ceiling on what that is worth to you in a rookie right. draft setting or a startup draft, just because, again, if you don't view him as, I mean, he's sort of like a Giovanni Bernard minus player, you know, or someone like that. And so you say, well, Gio got to top 15, top 20 startup value, but they brought in Jeremy Hill the next year. And all of a sudden you see him as a committee guy. And now, you know, he can, he can carry the load, if you will, for, you know, a few games here and there as a huge best case. So I just, for Michael Carter, I think there's a limited ceiling there. And so you really have to be careful. What's that worth? Even if you like him would be my, my big take is always what's their role, what's their upside. And then does that align with what I would actually have to pay? Yeah, another guy in that similar mold um, that a, a lot of our listeners are, are asking about is Kylan Hill. You know, he, exceptional pass catcher. Unfortunately, we didn't really get to see anything other than three games this year. But he looked good from from what I've seen as far despite that prolonged time off. Is he a sleeper in this draft, or is he a little bit too slight a frame as well? Um, no, I think he's fine. You know, 210, 215 pounds. And I think he, again, runs bigger. Now, the big thing for me, um, and, and this would be a good time to mention, that without the combine this year, you know, with, with pro days going, one thing that a few of us, I would say a few of us on Twitter, there's sort of a little faction, but we do our own measuring. And one thing that I've, uh, in terms of speed and athleticism, so I have a, I have a question about Kylan Hill with speed. Um, because we measure max speed. Now, what do you do? You find some breakaway runs. You find it, you know, clarified a view, you know, for these breakaway runs. And when you measure it, you get a sense, and they do that with the next gen stats. You'll see it flash on NFL games where it's like, oh, you know, he was measured at, you know, 20.6 miles per hour. This guy was measured at 19.8. So you get a feel for speed. But a lot of prospects, for example, you can translate this to what their 40 time would be. And for Kylan Hill, I think he's a threat. And this is a bad threat, you know, not a threat to run 4-2, a threat to run in the four sixes. And so I, I that's concerning to me because he's not 228 pounds or something like that, where you can get away being 4-6 plus if you're 225, 230 pounds, that's possible to be fine. 
But for his size, he's really got to be at least something in the four fives. And so again, at 19 miles per hour, 19.2 miles an hour max speed that I've tested for him, he's, I, I think he's at risk of being one of those workout fallers. Or he just doesn't have enough game speed. But again, I think he does a lot of the things well. So he's going to be, I'll, I'll say this in a positive way. He could turn out to be an Alfred Blue type. And that's not a disparaging thing. I like Alfred Blue. But he was a guy that ran the four sixes. He was a big guy, ran tough. But he did a lot of the ancillary things well. Hill can block. Hill can run a nice route. So he can do all these things. He's just not going to be a game breaker. So as long as he's going to be like a late third, fourth round rookie pick, he's going to be a guy, can he survive in the NFL three, four, five years like Alfred Blue? He carved himself a very nice career, had some spot starts. So that's the prism I would use for Kylan Hill, which is fine. Again, I think there's a number of, there's going to be a lot of running backs that go day three. There's not going to be a lot that go a top hundred this year. So Hill's in that bucket. And especially if he lands a place where he's fighting for a running back three job, he might go through your entire rookie draft undrafted. So that's the important part, I think, is is what's going to be the runway to these players. But also, if they're really cheap, that's when you can really target your guys with the profiles you like, as long as you're not, well, I love Kylan Hill. I'm drafting him at 302. Well, you might want to wait. If he goes around six in the NFL draft, you're probably not going to have to do that. We have to pay attention, obviously, to what the NFL teams do with that. And uh, great segue, you know, is the fastest recorded time from PFF at the Senior Bowl was actually a positional convert. It was Rashad Felton with he ran 19.78 miles per hour. Um, that was kind of a big news of him, you know, converting there. And, and, and do you see him, you know, we're going to move on, obviously, to the wide receivers now. But do you see him being a, a decent slot wide receiver at the next level, you know, coming from being a running back. Yeah, I think he can be. Um, you know, I, it was kind of surprising when I first put it on, I didn't even, you know, the fact that he was designated with the wide receiver group, I was like, who's this guy? Like I was already writing down, you know, Jersey numbers and all this stuff. And I see UCLA helmet. And I was like, what? So, so yeah, I mean, just like Antonio Gibson, you know, we thought he might be with the wide receiver group. He goes with the running back group. Now, unfortunately with Felton, I mean, this is the de-optimized positional change for fantasy, right? I mean, right, you probably have that running back in that running back position. Yeah. I mean, wide receiver, it's literally a dime a dozen. Now I, I will say he looked good he, in that jitterbug way. Now he's not Tyree kill. He's not these guys that he's not a straight burner, but he can change direction. He separated well and he looked comfortable. The interesting thing is, you know, through my, my metric projection model, I mean, as a running back, he looked like, you know, change of pace, third down receiving centric option or bust, you know, at his size, his BMI. So it actually kind of fits that he's more wide receiver. I actually think if he's going to stick in the NFL for a few years, he has a much better shot as a wide receiver than he would as a running back. Uh, he just didn't have a lot of, you know, inside seeing eight plus carries in a game like that just wasn't going to be his thing. But I actually, you know, was encouraged by what I saw uh, from Felton. Now, the problem is, you know, if he goes round three, round four, what does that really mean amidst a strong wide receiver class? I will say again, this was a very good week for him. He looked dynamic and and specifically the change of, mo uh, change of direction. The last thing is, Again, slot wide receiver, how many of them have we seen to actually see enough volume to really matter, you know, in 98% of, of dynasty league depths? The answer is not much. And you need to be very skeptical of that. So the, the mantra I always use is probably better NFL player, more NFL impact than actual fantasy. I love it. Now, when we first started talking and when when I wanted to make sure we got you on in the super on around Senior Bowl because you really turned me on to Cooper Cup. You know, I know you guys were talking about him and, and Katie, who we're going to have Katie on in two weeks. We're super excited to have her. You know, she's going to talk a little bit of Debbie in the 2022 class. Like I said, we're trying to run a program where people understand, like right now, people are throwing out 2022 firsts like they're candy because they don't really see exactly what's there because Trevor Lawrence isn't there and Harris and the, the guys that they've been wanting to see from the senior bowl. You know, is there anyone who you think, and, and John, we'll start with you and then we'll go with, to Chad, whose stock rose the most, you know, that, that has emerged and has put themselves into that category of this is somebody that I really got to have on my dynasty radar as someone I want to take home in all my drafts. Yeah. The, the guy that, just continues to kind of rise up my board right now is Kadarius Tony out of Florida. And it sounds like he looked great at practice. And I, I've even heard some and seen some mocks where he's going in the first round. I, I, that surprised me just a bit, but he's definitely an up and comer and he's, he's got a lot of the characteristics that you look for 
in a wide receiver. But I, and I'd love to hear from Chad a little bit more on Tony and how he might rank against some of these other senior wide receivers. Uh, obviously, Devonta Smith uh, was the big name. Didn't, didn't get to see him play, really. We had the wingspan thing that, that excited some people. But how, how do you rank kind of Devonta Smith, Kadarius Tony, maybe some guys like Tillon Wallace or Amari Rogers? Who stuck out for you? Ah, uh, here comes the ice water. And again, I don't, oh, I don't, oh. I don't pull punches. I, I will not lie to you. I will. So again, I'll take the oath. I, I have to tell the truth or, and, and my opinion here. That's why so we today, have you on here. You know? Yeah, Kadarius, exactly. Weird. I would be doing everybody a disservice if I just played, <laughs> uh, if I just played possum. Kadarius Tony is literally one of the three or four guys that I cannot foresee drafting or recommending period across, you know, UTH draft guide and podcasts mm. and draft plans and all this, because he literally between running backs, wide receivers, uh, tight ends, he's going to be the one guy that probably goes in the first three rounds. He has the worst metric profile of all of them. Mm. And it's not even close. So here, uh, let's go back. We, I mean, it's a good segue. We just talked about Demetric Felton, right? So Kadarius Tony, is he going to be an outside receiver in the NFL? Let's just answer these basic questions. Yes, no, or maybe. Outside receiver, most of his snaps. Yes, no, or maybe. Yeah, maybe, but maybe. maybe. It sounds sure. like maybe it's fine. We can, say, we can say maybe. Maybe he's good. So we'll say maybe. Now, if he is an outside receiver, is he a number one in the NFL? Whatever number one means to you. There's only, about 10, there's only about 10, real, 10 or 12 real ones yeah, in the NFL. No. Yeah, no. Yeah, so no. So, all, so now we're, we're hoping he's a de facto number one. Mm -hmm. So he needs the perfect storm of a depth chart. And then is an NFL team going to be happy with him? Let's say for one year in the sun, he gets 98 targets and he's the number one guy on a depth chart, maybe like the Jets we saw this year. You know, a depth chart without a clear-cut guy. What do you think they do the very next offseason? I bet they're looking for the guy, right? Mm -hmm. They're looking to sign an Allen Robinson. They're looking to draft a guy in the first round of you know, six two, good movement, you know, can go up and get the ball downfield. Like, so I just that's my prism I'm coming from. And now that there's Kadarius mm -hmm. Tony, like I thought he was a day three guy. I saw mock drafts three weeks ago that it was like, oh yeah, round four, round five. He's got some intriguing riser potential. And now that I'm seeing like late first round, second mm -hmm. round is like a lock, that really concerns me that he's gonna go like near or in the first round of rookie drafts. So that puts me at out because I need to get a guy that's an alpha or at least is so dominant that even if he's the number two, because basically, I mean, I, I did a lot of historical study on situations. And basically, if you don't get the number one wide receiver for the for your NFL team, whatever the depth chart is, you want a number two guy from a top eight quarterback, the top quadrant there. So Kadarius Tony, could he be the number two with one of the top quarterbacks, then he's going to be relevant. And that's right. a real, so that's my, a my limited pause. opportunity though. Yeah. yeah. So like see, if he were the, let's, let's just paint this. So Watkins is gone. You know, all these guys, he, let's say he goes to the Kansas city chiefs and he's the number two receiver there. You'd be interested. But if he's the number two receiver, which might be a good achievement for him, he might be a number three receiver in the NFL. Who knows if he makes it. So if he's a number two though, for most of the NFL, he's going to be what? Wide receiver 50, 60, 70, 80 fantasy-wise, which is not really, come on, that's kind of roster fodder, right? If there's not upside of like, he could be a top 25 guy, like that you're going to be holding him for a couple of years and there's no value there. So I just, so again, I thought he did some nice things. Is he a riser? I think he's more of like a later day two guy, early day three guy for NFL purposes, like for the draft. And so he's going to go higher than that. That means by natural assessment he's going to go top 15 top 18 of a rookie draft and i just that feels way too high for me for a player that again you're kind of putting into the prism of probably at best the number two in the nfl and and more likely he's probably going to be a decent number three so are there any guys that you know between maybe wallace or or eskridge or fitzpatrick or or you know is there someone there that projects potentially as a number one obviously I mean, Devonta Smith did not perform, but out of the guys that, that you saw there, I mean, is there someone that you think really their stock increased? Um, I think it was more solidifying, um, but I think I think the two guys that kind of solidified what they could be is Amari Rogers. You know, I, I think he has, but again, within that Kadarius Tony 
Maybe he's an arbitrage. He he might go two rounds later than than Tony in rookie drafts. So that to me, I'm always looking for where's a Good similar value. profile that I can get for less. Mm-hmm. I would say of an up a guy that could be a number two with upside to be more than that in the NFL. I think Tylen Wallace is a great one. I mean, you saw a guy that he gets deep. He plays big for his size. He was a four year strong producer and. Again, ball skills for days. He handled the press well. He did so yeah. many full all-around wide receivers. And this is a guy that, again, we're not looking to manufacture touches. He literally was the number one dominant receiver on his college team for multiple seasons. So he's used to having that, I'm the guy, come cover me, and I'm still going to carve you up kind of mentality. Um, and that really is the difference that you want to look for at wide receiver. Um, you know, tight end, again, you want that multiple year above baseline dominator uh, guy, but a wide receiver, it's amazing. If you just, and I always say target players are great, but the first thing you should do in any class is say, who am I eliminating? Because even if you eliminate 25% of guys, because, oh, this guy's too small. This guy's too slow. This guy wasn't productive. This guy didn't break out until he was 21, 22 years old. If you just do some filtering like this, it's amazing how short your list gets before you've even really watched these guys. And Tylen Wallace, he checks everything. You know, so I, I think the one, and he's likely to go, you know, he's more likely to go round three right now than round two from what I've seen. But yet again, he's 190, 195 pounds. And I think he's going to test really well. He's going to run the four fours. And for a guy that's really productive, I mean, he's as productive as the top four or five guys in the class. And yet people are probably going to rank him wide receiver 10, 12. So I just, that's what you're kind of looking for. Who is productive? Who is the man, especially if multiple seasons, and especially the guys at 18, 19 years old, where it's like right away, they excelled beyond their peers. It's kind of like the phenom effect. One other guy we wanted to kind of touch on, Dwayne Eskridge, obviously Western Michigan, another positional convert, has some elite speed. And people are saying post-Senior Bowl, he's worked himself into that first-round conversation as far as the NFL draft. Um, Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about what you see from him? Uh, sure. Um, the, the few things that stood out uh, from him, and again, I know he's, you know, he's, he's progressing at the position. The problem is he doesn't really have a lot of time. Uh, because he's 24 and a half years old for his NFL debut. And this just in, unless you went to BYU and you served a, a, a mission, that is insanely old. <laughs> so yeah. he's 24 years old. The expectations are going to be crazy yeah. high. Yeah, the, it's going to be crazy high for him to produce right away. You don't have the wiggle room of a 21-year-old. Um, so the riser, I kind of get that. He's rising from you know late day three undrafted to you know maybe round three, round four. Um, what I saw from him is for his size, first of all, he better be electric. Um, but So he's thick, but he's still on the shorter stature size. I think he will run in the four threes. I think that's possible for him. But my concern is he got out-muscled a lot at the stem. So he's going to need... He doesn't play big. He doesn't play Brandon Cooks big. He doesn't play big like Rondale Moore does. Um, so you can be short. You can be 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, That's fine. But if you don't play big like Steve Smith, that type, you know, just to think of a historical player, you almost need to be Tyreek Hill-like or Deshaun Jackson-like in the sense that you need to have such athleticism and movement and separation and I will get by you and when I'm even, I'm leaving capabilities that they play off you a lot or that you're on a team that's going to put you in motion. So that's where he's going to be successful because I saw a guy that, frankly, I mean, I took as many notes about him dropping passes as the rest of his positional group on his uh, senior bowl team combined. So his hands are not stable. Now, if he burns and runs 4-3-3, then he's got a chance, obviously. Speed is an ultimate equalizer in the NFL when you have that level. Um, so that's going to be the one thing that, again, free releases... He, he does really well, but versus contact versus press. And again, he's going to be an ancillary wide receiver to start in the NFL at a minimum. So is he going to see single coverage and be able to dominate that? And all of a sudden DBs are backing off. They're putting, but if they put a safety over the top, he's going to have to deal with a lot of contact. He's not going to have free releases. He's not going to get deep in one-on-one settings. That's where I kind of have concern there. So I do think he could be maybe a best ball guy. He could have some big play flashes. And especially if he confirms that athleticism, he is going to be you know one of those deep sleepers. But again, you really want to save your, your, your precious rookie capital, those late startup picks. 
you only can draft so many. So for Eskridge to be that guy for you, what I would say is, I mean, you're really choosing him over maybe a subset of 10, you know, just for example, say 10 to 15 other rookie wide receivers in that they were drafted round three, round four, round five, round six. So you would have to pick him over, say like maybe Elijah Moore, Amari Rogers, Tutu Atwell, who I really like, for example, Diami Brown. There's just a litany of guys. So you literally might get one crack at one guy in that zone. So I always look through the prism of, are you really going to step up and pick Eskridge over all of those other guys? And for me, the answer is no, but I do think he's intriguing with his movement. Hey, Mike, I mean, could we ask who who maybe is the guy in that range that you like the most right now? Uh, sure. Uh, so those ancillary, you know, probably not going top 75 in the NFL draft wide receivers. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of surprised that there's two or three guys that that are going or projected right now a lot later. I mean, Diami Brown is a, a deep threat. Mm-hmm. That I think a lot of people out of North Carolina aren't tracking again. He's a junior, so he's not really yeah. going to get this, the, the combine treatment per se, but he's a smooth guy. Um, and the one guy I've kind of been on for a couple of years now, uh, just to make a little uh, 20 second elevator pitch is Brennan Eagles out of Texas. And not a lot of people are tracking him. He was a big time recruit. And if you think Kyle Pitts is young, which, which teaser he is, he's going to be under 21 uh, when he debuts in the NFL. Brennan Eagles is the same age. He's going to be 20.9 years old. And just to give a little under the hood on, on uh, UTH and some of the process we go through, if you get a wide receiver, that's 21.5 years old or younger for their NFL debut, they are in such a higher tier. And yeah, those typically are underclassmen, um, but a lot of underclassmen aren't uh, that age. That Brennan Eagles, again, he's in that Brandon Cooks mode of he was productive right away. And this is a guy that is, he has a confirmed like four, five, 40 at 225, 230 pounds. So this is a guy that can get deep. He's got prototypical traits. And right now, I mean, he's going like round four, round five of a lot of these mock drafts in the NFL. So we'll see when we get all the way. It's a really deep class. I get that. Um, but guys like him, Diami Brown, I already said, you know, Amari Rogers, but Tutu Atwell, for folks looking for a Deshaun Jackson type player, I mean, he is a dynamic player at, and I know he's 165 pounds, but you know what? We just saw Marquise Brown at 165 pounds go in the first round. So to say it can't happen of getting pedigree, I mean, he is beyond intriguing. I actually saw, um, I actually saw Tutu Atwell um, projected in the late first round, I think in one mock draft to the Green Bay Packers. I mean, imagine. So again, there's possibilities of him going not just top 100, but even higher. So I, when you're looking for just pure speed, Tutu Atwell is a guy that was really productive and I know he's small. And the always thing is, if you're small, you better be fast. At least he is. So there, there's two, three, four guys that I think are, you know, round three, round four, round five of rookie drafts. Uh, very intriguing if you're going deep at wide receiver. I, I really like what you said there. I mean, obviously... We, you talk about pedigree and you talk about size and speed and all those kind of things. And we get all excited and what, what they can do and what they can't do. But what you said is is eliminate some of those guys. And I think sometimes we, we go in with our rookie big board, you know, and we're going to draft X amount of guys. And we, we don't start eliminating some of those guys that we don't think can hit. Those guys that we want to avoid off our team. And, and I thought that was a great thing matched with, you know, talking about historical data. I know Jordan with Analytics of Dynasty and you guys have really – dove into what kind of players and what kind of size and what kind of pedigree and draft capital and all those things come into making you know your optimal dynasty type player and those are things you guys you guys should definitely check out over there at UTH um we're going to briefly touch on quarterbacks I mean obviously in 2020 we were blessed to have Justin Herbert who you know was phenomenal at the senior bowl amazing this year um this year mac jones you know used that practice time to to boost his draft stock i, I believe a little bit you know showing some of his leadership decision making and accuracy where do you see him and as compared to some of the other guys in this quarterback class and was there anybody else there that impressed you that is super flex worthy i mean obviously we know the big four that are you know potentially in the the super flex round one area but where does mac jones sit for you yeah, I'm. It, it's interesting uh, because it's all about value, and I find it interesting that and, and Josh Allen was a good example. Jordan and I talk about him all the time. That we were completely out on him, you know, during the draft process. But when we found out that like he was late third, fourth round of rookie drafts for for one quarterback leagues, and that he was drifting to the second round of superflex drafts, 
we were like, well, we got to be in. At this price point, you have to be in on how high he went in the draft, what he can offer as a runner. Mac Jones doesn't offer that, but I'll just, you know, we, I actually just recorded, it's not out yet, teaser, the, um, that, you know, I did a mock draft versus Katie, uh, Katie Flower. So we did two rounds of super flex, two tight end, and she declared mid draft, she said, I'm not drafting any quarterbacks. You know, I'm done drafting quarterbacks. So she basically told me I'm not drafting Mac Jones in, by, by pick 24. So I was like, to me, Mac Jones is probably going to go. He's at quarterback five, you know, in, in a lot of stack ups for the class. And so if I think the first four are going to go off the board by 10 overall, I mean, they go is the point is if they're worthy, they go and you'll get trade ups and all of that. So if anyone basically for the rest of round one in the NFL draft wants a quarterback, it's Mac Jones. I don't think it's Kyle Trask. I don't think it's a couple of these other guys. So Mac Jones, if he gets even top 15, top 20 pedigree, I think it's a, I took him in again, our, our draft head to head at like, you know, 209 to 11 or something. And I think you have to buy the pedigree at a certain point with that format and one quarterback. Sure. If you want to fade him, and if they make it to 405 and a one quarterback, fine. But I, I think it's super flex. Mac Jones is, we know this Mac Jones is accurate. He can run the line of scrimmage. He's not going to offer much as a runner. And that's sort of today's NFL, today's fantasy. I get it. But there's a certain level of floor of can he be a facilitator, a point guard of an offense? I think the answer is yes. You know, I think he is accurate. Uh, the windows are going to squeeze down from what he enjoyed at Alabama. The skill position player is probably going to take a little step down uh, from what he's used to. But uh, I, I think that that Mac Jones is a guy that he's kind of earmarked in that QB five zone. And what I found is not the first guy off the board, maybe not even the second, but I think this is going to be the year. Is that is that Zach Wilson? Is that Trey Lance? Is that Mac Jones? But QB three, four, five, and super flex rookie drafts is really going to be the value point because you you might have to spend obviously one hundred one at Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields might go in the top two or three, but. Do people tire of the position? Do you get to eight? Do you get to 10? Do you get to 201 where one of these guys is still on the board? That to me historically is a big value point. And that's why Mac Jones is interesting to me. So I think he's good enough. Again, not going to offer much as a runner, but that still means you could be a top 20 type fantasy producer if you're a good enough passer. Yeah, there seems to be that one guy every year that gets pushed back. I mean, you know, we, we talked about Allen and, and Herbert was starting to get pushed a little bit. Obviously, Daniel Jones was pushed, you know, deep into that second round sometimes in Superflex. And and that definitely creates some good value here. Um, I want to thank you again, Chad, for coming on. I mean, this has been a fantastic experience for our listeners. I've learned a lot of things. I know John has as well. Um, why don't you tell the listeners, you know, what you what you're working on right now, obviously where they can find you and, you know, Again, I mean, we're just so excited that you came and took the time to be with us tonight. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Love to love to get in the guest chair. You know, if you host enough shows, it's kind of a relaxing experience to come on and, uh, you know, be uh, be wined and dined over here on uh, on Smash Accept. So that's that's really fun. Um, yeah. You can find me at UTHDynasty.com. Again, that's 99 percent of the content that comes out over there is is me, whether it's rankings. Uh, we do Debbie metrics, Debbie rankings, um, all the, the analytical stuff you would want for your rookie draft rookie class. Um, we have a series right now that's ongoing. It's going to be about eight to 10 podcasts strictly. And these are evergreen things about strategy, about dynasty trading. I think it's a, it's a lost art. I mean, obviously you guys de delve into dynasty trading a lot where, Hey, how do you trade in a rookie draft? How do you trade in a startup draft? The mechanics, the tactics, the tools that you need. I always say, if you put tools in their toolbox, it, you can put in different players. It's like a math equation, but as long as they are comfortable with the process of what to do in negotiating deals, they're going to be more successful than they were the day before the year before. And it's really about you know that education system. So that's like an eight to 10. I thought about offering it as a standalone product, but again, these are the types of things that you know, I get on a little kick for a week or two, record a whole series like this, and now all of a sudden it's in the library for you forever as a UTH uh, general manager subscriber. And I will say, um, they just recently, you know, things have changed from what I used to have for the premium podcast hosting. Now you can get UTH premium shows on any podcasting platform. That wasn't always the case. Shame on me. I'm old. I'm low tech. So, uh, but but yeah, you can get all that there. And and again, even if you want just additional content um, and want to support the show because you know no advertising on under the helmet starts right away 
uh, about 30 seconds in and we start diving into dynasty discussion. So you're not going to get a pause every six minutes about a 30 second ad for me undies or, you know, all of a sudden eat your broccoli, subscribe to HBO Max. Like we don't say stuff like that. Um, so, um, so yeah, you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash UTH. Um, and that's a way, again, just for a few bucks a month, you can get additional shows, um, additional content. And again, it's a way to give back and say, thanks for not having a bunch of ads on there. I am a produce manager, so do make sure you eat your broccoli. Um, and you, that was great what you talked about. I mean, obviously, we created Smash Accept to teach people the tools of the trade. I mean, we we really hammer home specific trades and how you should go about that. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are doing that over there as well. John, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and, uh, you know, anything you got going on right now? Yeah, and I, I, I want to jump in and thank you as well, Chad. Really appreciate some of the insights and i'm actually going to be adjusting my board here a little bit based on some of that and i'll also jump into uh, uth check out a little bit more looking forward to that two round mock you did and you know for me right now it's what what we do is smash accept guys are helping you out with your off-season strategies uh, trying to help you with those trades like we just talked about and we'd love to help you with that um, throughout the off season. Can't wait for some of the future pods here. You can find me on Twitter at dynasty underscore trades. Thanks again for tuning in guys. You can always find me on Twitter at dynasty underscore dad FF. Enjoy the process. Said it a little backwards that time, but 